camp.weebly.com. Uh, the Bible studies, uh, Lane's messages are uh, on the website, so you can go down and just press a button, press something, and, and uh, click on it or whatever you do, and uh, it you can hear them. All the messages, uh, the Bible studies from last year, Jeremiah's messages are still on there, I believe, aren't they, Kelly? So... That is the website. For those of who wasn't here yes who wasn't here yesterday. But you got one. I gave you one of these. Right? Did you get one? I gave you one the day before, Eunice, didn't I? The chart? Because I gave them out the day before. Here you go, Lane. If, um, it, it's probably dusty. It might be dusty, but you're welcome to it. Oh, yeah. So. I get, Remember what I said last night? I hit my head. What did I do with them? Oh, right there. So I'm a little, I don't know, something's happened. That or old age. Everybody got a handout? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know what happened. Put up those good seats. If anybody comes in late, you want to pass out for me? Sure. Thanks. Uh, with the chart, for those of you who weren't here yesterday, no, and you want to follow the chart, uh, just go on to the website and last yesterday's Bible study, we, we went over the uh, Matthew 13 column uh, and, and talked about the relevancy of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 with those parables in Matthew 13. And it's amazing how they correlate. Uh, but remember, as I said yesterday, both of them were spoken by Jesus, the parables and the, the messages to the churches. He knew what he said before, so he was just lining it up. And if you want to hear that in depth, that was on the study yesterday, and you can get that off the webpage. Today's lesson. We are at uh, the seventh church where we left off last year. I did a couple of review sessions, and well, actually yesterday I kind of went into more in depth on the chart than I did last year with the parables, but uh, today we are in the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, correct, and that is found in Revelation 13, I mean Revelation 3, I'm sorry, uh, 14 to 22, everybody have Bible or New Testament? I do have copies of Revelation 3, if somebody doesn't have their Bible or New Testament. What is the worst thing that can happen to a church? Think about it a minute. What is the worst thing that can happen to a church? Lack of finances? Lack of church activities? Lack of a pastor? And to anybody that's a pastor looking for work, that's probably uh, one of the worst things that could happen if you don't have a job, right? Uh, lack of facilities? Um, since I went back to the, to the summit, I, I attended the, at the I attended church at the summit from 1975 around there until 1990 when I began pastoring. When I went back to the summit, most of the people had run off, and it was like we had about 20 left. And uh, I what I said was we were over facilitized. That's a problem, too. That can be a problem, too. Too much building and maintenance and everything for the size of the crowd. So I said, we've got to get some people in here uh, so we're not over-facilitized. <laughs> so lack of facilities or uh, too many facilities, and that's why a lot of the churches, like in your downtown areas, have closed up. Uh, they, the older generation has passed away or not, are not able to attend any longer. The young, gen, younger generations aren't su supporting the inner city churches and they're closing up. Uh, 
So lack of facilities becomes a problem or over-facilitized. Lack of committees, on second thought, let's not even say that could be the worst thing. Uh, there's always too many committees. <laughs> well, it's none of the above. I don't know what you were thinking, but what's that? We are going to see what happens here, but it's none of the above. The surprising thing is this. The greatest problem a church can have is to feel that it needs nothing. And so it becomes self-sufficient, or they think they're self-sufficient. The reason is simple. The church that has no needs becomes complacent. So God ends up on the outside of the church knocking. Knocking to get in. And that's the, that's the picture we, we will see in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Uh, this verse often being misquoted by Christians thinking of this as Jesus knocking at the door of someone's heart for salvation. This is not that. It's a misconception. It is the picture of Christ and His church with Christ on the outside hoping to be let back in. And we'll go into a little more detail at, at the end of the lesson on that. But the text will teach us this morning, Revelation 3, 14 to 22, that God wants us to guard our personal and corporate life as his people from feeling so self-satisfied that we become spiritually lukewarm, as was said, lukewarm. Lukewarmness makes God mad enough to spit. I didn't say that, he did. Remember Jonah's lukewarm response to go and preach at Nineveh? Even the big fish spit him out. So, the first thing we want to look at this morning is the temperature of the church. So we need a big thermometer, and we need to take the temperature of our church. Let's look at what Jesus says in Revelation 3, 14-16. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's no good. That's no good. Laodicea was probably the wealthiest city in the world of the first century. And since we live today, in, or at least maybe a few years ago, lived in what we term probably as the wealthiest country in the world, we can kind of parallel I'm not sure that even is true anymore, the way our economy has gone. But the world's economy is in such a state, we probably still are the wealthiest country in the world. So we see the parallel now between the church of Laodicea and our own nation, but we also want to see the parallel, the church at Laodicea, with the church of today. So its wealth was so great that in A.D. 60, when the entire city was leveled by a huge earthquake, they rebuilt the city entirely by themselves without any help from Rome or any of other outsiders. They were wealthy enough to completely rebuild their city on their own. And so this city of Laodicea was known for three major things. One, it had a vast and wealthy banking system. It was the World Bank, I guess, maybe of that day, at the New Testament Wall Street uh, Laodicea. So they were known for their, their uh, great banking uh, prowess. It, it also had a huge textile industry whose specialty was black wool cloth. And remember that, take a note of that for later. They uh, produced black wool cloth as one of their main uh, uh, exports. Uh, it, and its third, the third thing was it had a large and famous, very famous in that day and age at least, medical school, which was famous for an eye salve that was world known called Solarium. So those were the three things that Laodicea was uh, very much known for. And all of these things they were famous for and proud of, Jesus will use to address the church's spiritual needs. He's going to use all three of them. We'll see that as we study here. So the church itself, no doubt, was also extremely wealthy. If the city was wealthy, then probably the people of the church. It was one of them highfalutin churches, you know? <laughs> Money, you know, wore the best clothes and all that kind of, whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, but that's what it says. It's stated there. 
uh, in the scripture, yet in spite of all its advantages, this church is the most condemned of the seven churches. So it had a wonderful, probably a wonderful facility. They had money. They probably had the best church building of any of the churches, uh, that, at least that Paul uh, is talking about. And archaeological digs, I love archaeology because they dig up stuff that proves my Bible to be true. And uh, archaeological digs have uncovered three buildings that were early Christian churches in the, in the city of Laodicea. So we're not talking about maybe one congregation even here, but possibly a series of churches in the city of Laodicea, and three of those have been uncovered. But they were probably all suffering from the same disease, okay? Because the, Jesus addresses the church, as the whole church in Laodicea here with this message. So, uh, the financial prowess of the church was such that any pastor or board would end. That's the church I want to go to. I won't be making 300 a week housing allowance anymore. I might, I might actually be getting a full-time wage. <laughs> it's always, not, you know, I've never, I've never experienced that, don't know what it's like, but some guys actually make full-time wages to pastor. <laughs> anyway. With all the bankers in town, all the businessmen, it was probably a top-notch church. Probably had good board members that knew how to run a business. But that also ran them into problems. Because God takes great exception to their spiritual condition. So when God took their spiritual temperature, he pronounced they were sick. (laughs) They were sick. In ancient China, the people were sick of all the raids from the barbarians. So what did they do? Anybody know what they did to prevent these barbarians from coming into China? Lay it louder. They built the Great Wall of China. That's why they built it. They wanted to keep people out. And they were, so they, they spent all kinds of energy and resources over many, many, many years, and then even later on added on to the wall. If you, if you, uh, I've seen uh, pictures of, uh, from outer space. You can actually see the Great Wall of China and the, even the remains because of the way they, they changed uh, the terrain. You can see the Great Wall of China for many, many miles, even from outer space. That's how big it was. But they were tired of these barbarians uh, coming Uh, and invading their country, so they built this great wall. During the first 100 years of its existence, China was still invaded uh, successfully. Was the wall a failure? Was the wall a failure? No, it wasn't the wall. It had never successfully been climbed, nor broken through. It had never been run around. (laughs) That had been a long run (laughs) to get around the wall. So how did the barbarians succeed in invading China if they didn't go through or over or around the wall. Well, you see, they simply bribed a few of the gatekeepers and they let them through the, right through the gates of the wall. They let them through the gates of the wall. You see, it wasn't the wall. It was human nature that had the flaw. It was human nature. So the fatal flaw in the Chinese plan was placing too much reliance on the wall, materialism, things, possessions, and not putting as much effort into building character into the gatekeepers. So the church in Laodicea had put great pride in what they possessed and not as much in being God's possession. So the fires had dimmed in the light of this self-sufficiently, that the embers were, were uh, cooling. And uh, they were relying more on just all the material wealth of the city and, and that and thinking that was going to create a good image and a good church and they could, they could make do with that. But while they weren't yet cold, they, were, they weren't hot either. They weren't on fire. They were lukewarm and so God called them, Jesus called them no good. And they of all people would understand about lukewarmness. You see... Laodicea had one serious flaw for a city. They had no natural water supply. You know, most uh, cities either have reservoirs or something to, to provide water. Well, Laodicea had no such natural water supply. So they constructed aqueducts. They were famous in 
in Roman times for their aqueducts. And the Laodicea had two aqueducts uh, that were sources of water, but they were some distance from the city. And these waters, uh, the first one was hot, were hot mineral waters from about uh, six miles away, uh, springs in Hierapolis. And these waters in that part of the country were used for healing purposes. And then there were the icy cold waters from springs six miles in the other direction. So in one direction, they ran aqueducts for the hot springs, and from the other direction, they ran it from the icy, cool waters of the springs six miles away. And so by the time, though, that the uh, water arrived in town, all the minerals had seeped out of the water, and the temperature was only lukewarm. So the water was useless for healing properties, and in fact, it was poisonous to drink. The icy waters went through a similar fate over their six-mile journey. The cold water warmed up as it passed through the six miles of aqueducts. And so uh, by the time it arrived at the fountains, it was lukewarm. You see why Jesus used the illustration? He used Laodicea as his illustration of the lukewarm church. It was a part of their culture. They understood lukewarmness. And so a new visitor to the city, having traveled the hot plains, would be seen taking a big gulp of water from the fountain, and immediately, what happens when you take a big swig of lukewarm water? You want to spit it out. It, it has no, it just isn't right, right? <laughs> it just isn't right. And that's what they, they, they could be seen spitting it out in disgust. So the message in this statement by God was obvious to them. So because you are lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, lukewarm Christianity neither brings healing to the spiritually sick, nor refreshment to those who are thirsty for God. What a great, Jesus was so good at illustrations. That's why you just have to read the word as a pastor. You don't even have to come up with good ones, because Jesus had all kinds of good illustrations. Their, their spiritual temperature was not good. It was lukewarm. The word actually, now I hope you have your breakfast, your breakfast is well settled. I had mine about 4, let's see, about 4.45. Mine, so mine's well settled. Everybody else's breakfast okay? The word actually in the Greek, spit, should be translated literally vomit. <laughs> uh, we kind of, you know, wanted to soften it up a little bit for you know, mealtime, but he's used, God, Jesus is using, wanting, wanting to point a very strong message to what he, how he feels about this. So Jonah knew that experience, as we said. He was vomited out by the great fish. You see, it was their usefulness or lack of it that God was upset about. They were existing just fine. They had all the money they needed to have great buildings and provide all the amenities of a church, but they were not useful. In Hawaii, on the northbound uh, Pali Highway, you can get off on Park Street, travel one block, and then you will wind up on Easy Street. Don't you love it when you, when you end up on Easy Street? And so many Christians are out there trying to find Easy Street in their spiritual lives. But if you continue on down that street in Hawaii, Easy Street, you come to a dead end. And a big sign that says, dead end. And when we, when we look spiritually for an easy street, we usually end up at a dead end. And that's what Jesus is telling this church. The church seemed quite impressive. Good finances, good business practices, a good name, probably well-organized board members uh, who were probably local businessmen uh, or perhaps students from the medical school and the well-educated. But you see, looks are deceiving. Their self-sufficiency, their arrogance had cooled their spiritual temperature. You want to know something that's deceiving? How many of you, when you were a kid... Uh, went around in a circle and sang this song. Ring around the rosies, a pocket full of posies, 
a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. We sang it a little different, ashes, ashes. But that, the actual words to the song were, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. Well, that rhyme originated back in about 1665. We've been singing that a long time. And it happened in the streets of London to teach the warnings of the deadly black death plague. That's our nursery rhyme that we're singing today. That was, it was a warning about the plague that had struck London. And at that time, ring around the rosies was the red rash, like spots on the skin. That's what they were warning them. You would see the red spots. It was an indication that you had the plague. A pocket full of posies had to do with the belief that evil spirits were associated with bad smells and that if fresh-smelling flowers were put in the pockets of the sufferers, these evil spirits would have to leave. So that's where a pocket full of posies. <laughs> we had some posies. Um, Amory brought us posies on the porch yesterday, uh, some clover, and we, then she brought us some little boxes to put our posies in. But this isn't what, we're talking about a, a nursery rhyme that was a warning for the black plague. It goes on to say, a tissue, a tissue. And of course, that's the familiar sound of those that were infected when sneezing. And we all fall down. What a great final note, the note of death. <laughs> As we sing our nursery rhyme. No, it, it was not a pleasant childhood rhyme that they were singing. It was a story of horror and death in 1665 London because of the plague. Laodicea, the church may have sounded fine, but the real story was death coming. So, whoops, I forgot that they were nauseating. All right. <laughs> so that we see the temperature of the church. Now look at the trouble of the church in verses 17 and 18. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Their problem was they were narcissistic, and we have heard that term, or at least I have. My mom has mentioned it to me, maybe you have. Uh, as uh, the uh, psychological problem of our president. I don't know if you've heard that, but psychologists say that our president is narcissistic and why he does the things that he does like, and say the things like, I have a pen and a phone. Because here's what narcissistic means. It means having an excessive or erotic interest in oneself and one's physical appearance. The synonyms would be vain, Self-loving, self-admiring, self-absorbed, self-obsessed, conceited, self-centered, egotistic, or just plain full of oneself. So anyway, that was the problem with these Laodiceans. They thought they were good enough. They, they were content. They were satisfied with themselves. The bottom line of their problem stemmed, though, from over-reliance on material things. Not the things themselves but their security that they found in things. There is no sin in the thing. <laughs> okay? We tried to tell, when, uh, back in, the, the, I think, in the early 1900s, we tried to uh, say that the radio was uh, a sinful thing. Well, no, the radio wasn't a sinful thing. It was a thing. Possessions are not sinful. What we listen to on the radio can be sinful. Television is not sinful, but what we watch on television can be sinful. The computer is not sinful. The computer is a helpful technological tool unless it is used for the wrong reasons. It's not the thing that's sinful, it's how we use the thing. Like the town, this church had, through their 25 to 30 hit year history, acquired great wealth and great influence. With banks everywhere, this huge textile plant that we talked about, the great medical university, it was a great church. No doubt they felt on top of the world. And they were the church that others probably envied for their beautiful building 
and all the amenities that they had, the people that they had coming to their church and all that. They, the other churches, the poor churches that we talked about, one through six, that had difficulties not only with persecution and, and, and different things like that, but also had many times difficulties financially because they were poor. No doubt they felt that they were okay. They couldn't see how distorted, though, that their values had become. So instead of their abundance being accredited to God, they were taking the credit for it and relying on it instead of relying on God. Dr. H.A. Ironside confessed one day to a friend that he felt he wasn't as humble as he ought to be. So his friend advised him to take some wood and make a sandwich board. Anybody remember the sandwich board advertising, you know, where you wore a message on the front and a message on the back and walked around, you know? You still see them once in a while, but uh, he, his friend advised that that's what he should do and, and uh, uh, make a sandwich board with the plan of salvation written on it and then walk all day through the downtown Chicago area where he lived. And so Ironside did that. Dr. Ironside did that. And uh, he, he felt the humiliation was great. All day he was humiliated by those that passed by, probably honking their, oh, wait a minute. Probably not honking their horns back then, but maybe, uh, you know, uh, yelling things at him or whatever. But as he got home, he caught himself saying to himself, listen to this. There's not another person in all Chicago that would be willing to do what I did today. You see, even after all those humiliating, the humiliating experience of walking through downtown Chicago, he still was puffed up about it. No one else would do what I did. God tells them in the church at Laodicea that they lack the very necessities, whoops, the very necessities of spiritual life. Usually I have Dale runs my PowerPoint. <laughs> when I run it myself, you see I get a little behind. Uh, the, they lack the very necessities of spiritual life in terms that they would well understand. He, Jesus uses the words, they were poor, they were naked, they were blind. Okay. This is why they would understand. They lacked the very three things that they were most secure in, just in a different sense. So they are counseled to open up their accounts and buy new gold refined in fire, spiritual wealth that comes only from going through trials. Then white clothes versus the black clothes that they were famous for. All the, in other words, the white representing purity. Also, to cover their nakedness that he mentioned. Naked, nakedness in that day and age was considered the most shameful thing that could happen to a person. And why we talk about Christ bearing the shame of the cross, one of the parts of that was his nakedness when they took his clothing. The third thing was the eye salve that was needed to correct their blindness problem. Obviously, he was talking about a spiritual awakening so they could see spiritual things. But they were famous for their eye salve, and so he used that as an illustration. Just as that cures your uh, eye problems, the salve, so the things of God will, will wake you up and alert you to the spiritual things. The Holy Spirit is a healer of our spiritual blindness. So if they saw no need, they got lazy. So God offers them what they don't possess. Years ago, a major American company had trouble keeping employees working at a plant in Panama. The, uh, the workers were paid cash and paid pretty well for their work, especially for that uh, uh, a third world nation. Uh, it was a, a good deal of money. The problem was finally discovered uh, they had cash, but they had nothing to spend it on. Isn't that a terrible thing? They had all this money and nothing to spend it on. So they didn't care if they got any more. So they wouldn't work. We got money. We don't need any more. There's nothing to spend it on. So why should I work? And so all the motivational speakers wouldn't work. And they didn't want to cut salaries because they didn't want the employees to get mad. So... Finally, a solution was found to motivate them to do more work. What do you think it might have been? Just guess. More, nope, not more money. They already had money. 
Better food? Something they didn't have. What was it, Grace? They gave every employee a Sears catalog. Remember when we used to order everything on, in the Sears catalog, the Penny's catalog, the Spiegel catalog, you know? Remember those days? Well, I know you young ones probably don't, you don't have a clue what we're talking about. They gave every employee a Sears catalog. Now they wanted things they didn't even know they could even have before. And so they worked so they could get some, some more money so they could buy stuff from the Sears catalog. This is what God was doing with Laodicea. Offering them a different kind of wealth. Something they didn't possess. The kind they were sorely lacking. These were the real necessities. The spiritual necessities that the church really needed. They had everything else. But what they really needed was spiritual wealth. The third thing this morning, the last one, is the test of the church. Look at verses 19 to 22. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. See, he's not talking to, he's not talking to sinners here. I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. So re, that's why when we talk about that picture in a minute, you'll understand. So if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, they need to be nudged. God explains his reason for such a harsh word to them. He loves them. Tough love is what Dobson called it, right? Tough love. Love does not sit by while someone ruins their life. This is why we as parents disciplined our children. God would not sit by and let them sink deeper into sin. Their values were taking them away from God. But God loved them enough to come and warn them. And by loading up on this world stuff, they were setting the stage for their own demise. And God was trying to prevent that. Years ago, a great ship struck a reef and began to sink. On board was a great hoard of gold and other valuables. And it soon became clear to the passengers that they had very little time to get into the lifeboats for safety. One man ran to the hold and began filling his pockets with as much gold as he could cram into his pockets. He then put on his life jacket and ran to the edge of the boat and jumped for safety. But as you might have already guessed, the weight of the gold pulled him like a lead weight and he sank right to the bottom and drowned. He had his gold, but he did not have his life. So when the ship begins to sink in this old world, we need to remember what will really keep us afloat. God's word to them was twofold. Be earnest, second part of verse 19, be earnest, not half-hearted, be earnest. And what does the last part say, the next part? Repent. Repent, turn around, and head the other direction before you sink. This verse has been so misinterpreted, this verse 20, so misinterpreted through the years, often used as a salvation appeal for the individual. But its context, however, is quite different from this. Because as we said, the context is the message to the church. And the church specifically in Laodicea, the church that is relevant to the end times, the church that is relevant to us. And Jesus is outside the door of the church today, knocking. It's not just about individuals. It's about the church. The picture is of Jesus knocking. Oops, get up. Too many. The picture is of Jesus knocking. Holman Hunt's famous painting of, I don't think this is that painting, but it's one similar to this, of Jesus standing at the door knocking when unveiled caught one critic's attention, prompting him to ask Mr. Holman this very, this very question. 
Mr. Hunt, you have painted a masterpiece, but you have made one serious mistake. Do you know what it is? Lane does. Do you know what the mistake in the painting is? There's no handle on the door. You painted a door without a handle. But the artist said, that's no mistake. The handle is on the inside. Jesus, knock, knock, knock. But we must answer. We must open the door. He won't barge in. He won't invade. He only knocks. And so we see that in the painting. And if the door is open, Christ promises to enter. He promises to enter and to share a meal with the church or even an individual like Zacchaeus. It's interesting that in the meal spoken of here, it was the evening meal, the last and most important meal of the day. It was the last call for dinner before the darkness of night set in. And a possible reference here to the end time or the period of tribulation. Notice the promise includes mutual sharing, real fellowship with God. Mealtimes are often one of the greatest places of sharing between people. That's why if you look at Wayne's Facebook page, uh, Lane's Facebook page, you see all those pictures of his meals. Because meal times are an important time to share. Even if it's just sharing a picture of the food, right? That's right. So you see, now you know why Lane does that. It is where, it's where families share. They share their struggles. They share their, the, the praises for one another and with one another. The events of the day, their lives together. Context here is being the church. Great symbolic meaning here for the communion time. A time when we come together around the table for the bread and the wine and celebrate together what Jesus Christ has done for the church. The final promise is that of rulership and rest. He says, on my throne. Remember, as we said earlier, actually last year, and then reviewed it this year, we no longer see the baby in a manger or the suffering servant in Revelation. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, but the, revel- the baby in the manger was it, 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 in the... Uh, story in Luke and and, uh, later like Matthew and the suffering servant was Jesus on the cross. This is no longer the baby in a manger or the suffering servant, but the revelation of Jesus Christ that we read about here is the conquering king, the ruler. And so on my throne, he says, I sit, which is an idea of completion or rest. You see, because this is the final episode. These are the final days. The picture is of a church that will rule with Christ, finally having their work completed. And though we live as servants now, we shall be rulers with Christ. After all, we are the king's kids, are we not? Our great inheritance awaits us. Our rapture. The rapture of the church awaits us. So store up treasures where moth and rust will not corrupt, as Jesus asks us to do. We need to invest in heaven's securities and loans bank, not not the Wesleyan or the Nazarene pension fund. They are FDIC approved, the heaven's securities and loans, forever deposited in Christ. FDIC, forever deposited in Christ. This church had settled for earthly security and had fallen into mediocrity. Nothing will rob the church of the believer more than complacency, mediocrity, just accepting the status quo, neither hot nor cold. And this is evidenced by the fact that this was one of the most condemned of the churches. A lukewarm church can make God sick to his stomach. There was no all-temperature cheer in God's kingdom. It's hot or cold, not lukewarm. There is no middle ground between heaven and hell. And yes, I do believe there is not only a heaven, but there is a hell. We, there was that, something was brought up at some point about that yesterday. I do believe, I think if I remember correctly, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. So you better believe in hell. So there's no middle ground between heaven and hell, nor is there between commitment or no commitment to Christ. God's call is to be hot or cold, to be saved or not saved. Accept or reject me. 
There is no category of sort of saved. Uh, uh, Drury, Keith Drury, I heard him speak once and he said, there's no oozing into the kingdom. That's a great term, isn't it? There's no oozing, there's no sort of saved. There's no sort, there's no sort of lost. God finds warmness acceptable, unacceptable, this lukewarmness. He, it, it, it made him mad enough to spit. That's what it says. That's what Jesus said. Questions, comments? I forgot my do-rag this morning, so I borrowed one of mommy's, my mom's towels. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, their textile injury. They made black wool cloth. They were the, the bank of the day, pro- probably what we would think of as the World Bank because they had, and the ISAF. They had a medical school there that was famous worldwide of that day. And, uh, and uh, part of that was developed, that ISAF, out of that school. And it was the, the SAV was well known. Now, I don't think it cured blindness, but... Uh, for a lot of eye, uh, solarium, C E L L Y R I U M, solarium. What else? What do you think? Am I, are you think I'm off base that we're looking at the church of today? No. If you looked at your chart from yesterday, the ones that weren't here, the last church on there is a church at Laodicea. And if you look in under historical eras, we pinpointed that that was approximately 750, I mean 1750, the last days, would be 1750 to the rapture. So right now it's to the present, but it would extend to the rapture. So this, the church at Laodicea, now next, um, next time, yeah, next week, no, not next week, tomorrow, <laughs> we are going to talk about, this is a new lesson that I've never taught before, so you'll have to help me. It's called the Emerging Church, or the Emergent Church. And I, I call this the Church of Laodicea in today's language. That's my title. <laughs> so that's what we're going to look at tomorrow, the Emerging Church. And you see, if you've seen any of this, or heard about any of this, and if you have any uh, thoughts, bring them with you tomorrow, if you've heard anything about the Emerging Church. Well, Addo Dominion, it's not really before or after Christ, either one. <laughs> it, those were actually uh, Latin terms, right, Lane? And they had to do more with the, the Roman calendar. They didn't really have to do with before or after. Because Christ was, Christ was born probably about 3 A.D., if I, I think, around there. He wasn't born at zero. <laughs> or B.C., 3 B.C. He was, yeah, at thir- when he died, he would have been about 30. Well, you have to have a calendar. Yep. Oh. It just—it it just we kind of made up that. Okay. But the Latin doesn't mean it has to do more with when when uh, the Romans developed their calendar. Yeah. But there's other calendars out there. That's just ours. You got the Chinese calendar, and what about? It's about 5,000 and something or 6,000. In recent years, like, there's been a concerted effort in the, in the intellectual arena to change B.C. to, to uh, let's see, let me get it right. Uh, well, I had it just a minute ago. Common Era. Common Era. Before the common era. Anyone else? Any questions? Any thoughts? And and uh, again, tomorrow, if you don't like what I say, you know that's all right. You don't have to like it. Uh, but uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of truth 
into in it that will be interesting. I've done a lot of study and research in the last two years on this very subject. I mean, I've, I've really poured over stuff to get ready for this lesson. You think, uh, you, they say a preacher never doesn't make his money, you know, because we only work like an hour on Sunday, right? <laughs> I, I dare you to try to get a Bible study together and in a few minutes. If you, real, if, you'll, if you did it in a few minutes, you'll sound like it when you give it. <laughs> It's pot. It's possible because you accumulate things over time, but and and then you then you kind of compact it down into a period of time to assemble it. But you, your whole life is your whole life is assembling. You know, that's you know what they tell us anyway. And then I found out at uh, we went. I went to a uh, a soul care. The Wesleyans had a, what they call soul care for the pastors and staff. And it was for the pastors to get away and have some time, you know, we're just us. And I learned there that like 70% of what I do is administrative, which is, you know, and he, I said, wow. So I went back to the speaker afterwards and said, how do you figure 70%? And then he went through everything. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, we don't, we don't even leave ourselves time to really study the way because the church has become so much administration, especially for a, a sole pastor, you know, a, like I am. I, I don't have any staff. <laughs> I am the staff. <laughs> I not only am pastor, but I clean the family center, too. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, I have other jobs and that I don't get paid for. <laughs> but, do, but do you, well, the camp, too, yeah. Camp? Oh, camp? oh, you know, yeah, there's no... One, Toller, I think, is the book I have that talks about solo ministry. I think it's his book. It's called Solo Ministry. And that's about the no, the no staff pastor because it's a small church, you know. But, but people don't realize there's still a lot of stuff going on even in a small church. Right? And we, like I've been telling a lot of people, we just added a preschool in September. I, we had 35 kids, staff. And all their parents, grandparents, when we had our Christmas program in December, we had between 225 and 250 in church on a, a, a Friday night for the Christmas program, just for the preschool. That was, there was only four people from the church there, including me and my wife. The rest of them were all from the preschool. It's a whole new branch of ministry for me. So, you know, it, you... It's not just what you do for an hour on Sunday morning. And, it, and for, a, for a layman that's really committed to, to the work of Christ, it shouldn't be just a, you know, a half hour teaching a Sunday school lesson or an hour a month on the, serving on a church board. It re, really, should, there should be more of a time investment. Uh, that's part of stewardship. And I'm not preaching on stewardship this week. so, But I got a good series if you want to hear one. <laughs> All right. Any other questions? I don't want to leave anybody out, but I know some of you might have to go. Question? All right. Well, again, if you got any thoughts, <laughs> any thoughts on the emergent church tomorrow, bring them with you, and we'll give. I, I got a few more questions, so it'll be a little more class oriented. I know I just got up and kind of preached today, but I wanted to get through this layout to see a thing. see, every pastor is different, every teacher, because like me, like I said, I like archaeology. So when I study 
the scripture, I always go back to my archaeology books. And my, you know, I try to learn about the culture. Because that helped me understand why Jesus said what he did. Why he used those three illustrations. Because those people understood that. You know, and because that was part of their culture. And, and that's what I like to do. And other guys go a different route. They, do, they get more into the heavy theological stuff that I'm not good at. Because I'm just a dumb hillbilly. You know? <laughs> but I'm just, it's, we do, we approach things from different angles. And that's why you, you could take John, there was a guy when I was in, uh, it was when I was a kid, but it was in the youth service. I, used to, I was allowed to sit in the back as long as I kept my mouth shut during the youth service. When they, remember when they used to have the youth service at 6 o'clock pay over in the youth tabernacle? And there was a guy that preached 10 days to the youth on John 3.16. 10 different sermons, you know. And I was just a kid, but that impressed me, you know, that he could do that. But that's, that's when you really, when you're into the word and God reveals things to you in a different way. And over the years, God had revealed to him different things through John 3.16 that were, you know, relevant even to young people. But, uh, you know, that, that's the way that God works, if we're willing to be open to him and listen. <laughs> you know, sometimes we want to talk. I know I talk too much, and God, and I need to listen more to what God says. I want, because I, and I tell my, when I pray my prayer before I preach, every, every Sunday almost, I just, I tell God, hide me behind the cross. Don't let them see me or hear me, but let them hear you. Because I don't want it to be about Dan. I don't want. I don't want them. To, I don't want to be an idol to anybody. I want them to hear God's voice. And if it was my choice, I, I say this often. I'd say. I'd say this right now. If it was my choice, I'd be back there with Sue and Grace. On the back row, because I was just. I was probably the shyest person you'd ever want to meet in school and stuff like that. And part of that was because. I went to 12 schools in 12 years, so you never really have a chance to make friends. But me, my personality, my desire would be to sit in the background, stay in the background. But God's choice was to put me in position to preach the word. And so I have to rely on him. And so it has to be his word and not mine. It has to be. It has to be. Because I can't do it. I can't do it. Thanks again. If you have any other questions, you can come up here, but I want to let everybody go. Although it isn't too bad in here, is it? I'm, I know I'm sweating, but I moved. I, moved, I have to, if, when I, well, when, when I uh, hurt my back and had to sit on a stool, I had to have my Bible in one hand, and it's hard to preach one-handed. 